what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two of the Wild Bill prison story. William Dethan Holbert was arrested in a Nicaraguan jungle charged with multiple homicides in 2010. Sentenced to 46 years, he is currently serving his time in the La Nueva Hoya Centre in Panama. Many have called Bill a serial killer. However, he says he didn't kill for any enjoyment or some need to scratch an itch. He was merely a killer for hire. A man with no morals and driven by greed and money. These days, Bill is the prison's chaplain. On a daily basis, he works with youngsters inside the facility to get them out of the gang life and off drugs. He says he's a changed man. A man who now thinks of others and not just himself and a man who says he lives with remorse and nightmares of seeing the faces of those that he killed. But he's certainly not expecting anyone's sympathy. People say, well, you're asking us to have sympathy for you. I ain't asking you to have sympathy for me. I'm just telling you my fucking life. I'm just telling you about how it was. In our previous episode, Bill talked us through the moment he was arrested in the jungle, a situation that almost saw him get away again. However, once authorities realised who they had, there was no bribing his way out of this one. However, there was still one bribe in play, one that he hoped would see his wife freed and sent home to the United States. But more on that soon. (laughs) 
this is my first time in prison. I've never been in prison before. And, you know, I've seen all the movies, the old Chuck Norris movies where he goes to prison and the old gangster movies where they go to prison. And, like, you know how you're supposed to hit somebody on the first day, the biggest and meanest one, so everybody thinks you're, you know. I don't know what to expect. And I'm scared shitless. That's the truth. I'm like the biggest dude. And it's supposed to be the biggest, meanest guy. But I'm scared. I don't know. I don't know what to expect there. So I'm like, all these things I've seen on TV, because I've never been in prison, man. I was good criminal not a stupid one I never, I never got put in jail before so i never even been arrested not once in my life and so they they take me to prison and, and there's actually the, the cops that took me were like my friends had become my friends by now they were the ones that were assigned to guard me personally and they're like no you're going to a good place don't worry it's cool i'm like okay so they bring me in and the cops that receive me are like military police they're different and they're like afraid of me so they like search me and 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 like are being, being kind of rude to me and they marched me and they, they got me chained hand and feet and i've got a bag with all my belongings that my friend charlie the the lawyer had went and bought for me like clothes and stuff so in like panamanian prison is really different than american prison man i mean they don't give you shit they don't give you uniforms they don't give you nothing you got to buy everything and bring it in from the outside so i come in with like a hundred bucks in cash which i got in my pocket i mean they they know that's your money i come in with a hundred bucks in cash um marched with a bag full of clothes they strip searched me and we walked down to the this what is supposed to be the best cell block in the prison and it just looks like a complete and total shithole and i'm like oh my god you know this is not going to turn out well bill walks in extremely apprehensive about what he's about to find and although the state and conditions of the prison were appalling bill would soon learn that if you have money in a panamanian prison life can be reasonably comfortable So I go inside and there's this little fat guy, little fat cop, because it's all police. It's not no civil police guards in this in this facility. It's all policemen. So there's this sergeant in there, and so he he receives me, signs a piece of paper, and all the other cops leave. And so he's looking at me, and he throws me a handcuff key, and he says, "Take your handcuffs off." And I'm like, uh, "Okay." So I took my own handcuffs off, took my leg hands off, and so I gave them to him. And he's like, well, "What are you waiting for? Going in?" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." So I pick up a bag, and I walk inside. And there's this tall white guy. There's a tall, gray-headed man who throws through the air something at me, and I caught it out of the air, and he says, Hey, Bill, welcome to hell. My name's Leo. And I snatched out of the air what he threw me, and it was a can of ice-cold Heineken beer. And so I open the beer, I drink the beer, and they're like, "Here, Bill, here's your cell. And he, like, walks in front of me. He doesn't say anything. He's like, my name's Leo. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And he walks in, like, this is your cell. Throw your shit in there. And it's a nice cell. It wasn't bad at all, actually. And... So I, I threw, and I'm like, all to myself, and so I throw my stuff inside, and I'm like, this ain't gonna be so bad, and it wasn't. And so Leo, uh, who became a lifelong friend, who is a lifelong friend of mine today, uh, who just got out of prison just like three or four months ago, Leo Morgan, he was a British gangster uh, who worked with the IRA. I hope he doesn't mind me talking about him. If he does, well, tough shit, old soldier, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Leo Francis Morgan, he, he was um, a British gangster who'd been put in Panama and they caught him with like a million dollars, I don't know how many thousand kilos, you know. Leo Morgan has been described as a gangland kingpin and a former feared general of a global cocaine cartel with links to the Russian mafia. A mobster who would come from very humble beginnings as a butcher in Birmingham, England. 
In 2003, he would be jailed after being caught with 110 kilos of cocaine that was discovered on his Panamanian farm. He would serve his sentence at different facilities, including the infamous El Renacer. Renacer means to be reborn or to reappear. And by all accounts, it's quite the opposite in this facility. With Leo Morgan telling one journalist he had been stabbed multiple times and he himself had witnessed 59 deaths. The El Renacer jail was in fact the inspiration behind Prison Break's third season, where they are sent to a Panamanian prison. Morgan would spend many years as one of the UK's most wanted men, also appearing on Interpol's Most Wanted, as well as being wanted by Vladimir Putin, who placed a one million rupee bounty on his head for information about the drug lord. Leo spent years fighting extradition to Russia from Panama, as he said he would likely disappear long before any supposed trial. However, in March of 2022, his time ran up, and an article posted on Birmingham Live stated that the Panamanian authorities had recognised his extradition to Russia as acceptable, and a Russian Supreme Court won their battle to have him sent to face his fate. A fate he dreaded the most. And at the time the article was printed, his whereabouts were in fact unknown. However, according to Bill, Mr Morgan was released from prison last year. So he may yet have avoided Vladimir Putin after all. Anyway, so, so we became like immediate friends. And, but Leo was very, very amargado, very sour. He was this typical British guy, you know, but he was like Irish. He was like half Irish and half British. Just an old time English gangster, you know, hard motherfucker, a really tough guy. He'd been in a Panamanian, to be an American or English or, or any first world nation guy mixed in with, with the Panamanians, you gotta be a hard motherfucker because if you don't, they'll kill you. So we sat there. And so there were these, these were the people that were in prison with us. There's a guy named Richard Emerson that we called the Pink Panther because he looked just like the Pink Panther. He moved just like the Pink Panther. Then there was a guy named Boris Fogel who was supposed to be the quote-unquote boss of that cell block. And we called him Winnie the Pooh because he, he was like the Pooh. He looked like the Pooh. He moved like the Pooh. He acted like the Pooh. Convicted in 2005, Boris Vogel was sentenced to 16 years in prison for money laundering and international drug trafficking. He was widely considered the leader of the international gang Los Camelos. Vogel would be released on good behaviour before serving out his complete sentence. However, not long after his release, while riding through Coco del Mar in his luxury Lexus, two vehicles would surround his car and then open fire, killing Vogel and the other passengers with inside the car. He was set to be a witness in a case against the former Peruvian intelligence chief, Vladimiro Montesinos. He'd claimed that Montesinos was paying off high-ranking officials and that he had the evidence against him and other successful Peruvian businessmen, which he said were involved with his drug trafficking network. Vladimiro Montesinos would in fact be jailed for corruption charges and human rights violations. And in fact, earlier this year, given a further 19-year sentence for his part in the massacre of six farmers, and is ironically serving his time in a facility that he himself helped design during his time in power. Hold up. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And then there was two kids that killed a, that, that were there for like, because everybody else wanted to kill them. And they had murdered a pastor and they had put them in there for their own protection. And we called, I don't remember, one of them, I don't remember what was named Josue or something, but we called the other one the gecko because he was always kind of like sticking up on the wall. You know, it was like hanging up on the second bunk there, looking down, and he didn't say very much, and he didn't move very much, so we called him the gecko. Then they brought a guy, a really famous fuga fuga. Fuga fuga means a guy that wants to escape. Fugar, the word fugar in Spanish means escape, and he was a fuga fuga, Rafael. Guardia was his name, but anyway, they called him Ito, and, and then there was Papa Pillo, was a guy who was a gangster who was like ghetto gangster, like a man who's in charge of a, a ghetto troop, you know, uh, like the boss of like hundreds of petty gang members. Anyway, and we called him Peter Sellers because he walked around with one eye closed all the time, like, yeah, so we called him Peter Sellers. And then the other guy was the Penguin. The Penguin was a Colombian drug runner trafficker and he walked and he, he walked and he looked like a penguin and he walked and he looked like a penguin so we call him the penguins what a group of motherfuckers that was so bill began his time in panamanian prison and as mentioned in these prisons money talks and if you're willing to pay you can live a reasonably comfortable life 
and basically have access to everything you need. The Pavillon, the cell block where we were, they never searched it. Actually, the only search I ever saw there was on Christmas Day. They searched us on Christmas Day. And like they're like, they're on the Christmas Day in 2010. So they come down, they're going to do a search, and everybody says, okay, everybody put your shit in the refrigerator. We had like a regular house type refrigerator there. They had a lock on it. Everybody, like, we, you know, like, we had a gun. We had a pistol. So they put the pistol in there. Inside the refrigerator also was like full of beer all the time, like cans of beer. Uh, and we put all the phones, all the stuff in there, and shut the door and locked it. They come down, they did a search, and they, did, they had like orders not to touch the refrigerator. It cost me $400 a month to live in that, in that cell block. Everybody paid $100 a week. And so there was 11 us, that's $1,100 a week that we paid to the captain there. He's making good money. $1,100 a week is good money in Panama. But, of course, we lived like super well. You wanted to, walk, you wanted to go outside in the middle of the night and watch the stars and drink a beer? You could do that. You just tell the, the, the guard on the door to open the door. And, like, he, might, he would ask you for a dollar. Give me a dollar, man. And so then you'd give him a dollar and you go outside and see the stuff. I mean, it was really cool. So I lived there for about six or seven months. While Bill is getting used to his new environment, the situation surrounding his wife and the almost $200,000 bribe that he'd offered the district attorney was still in play. And eventually, it was time to do the deal. During that time, three weeks went by and Angel Calderon, the district attorney, called me back. Now listen to this story. I have never told it to anyone. So they called me back and bring me to the office and Calderon comes in. And he says, the district attorney comes in, he says, well, he talks, starts talking about how this is really, dang, you know, he's doing something not illegal and, and, and please don't talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm ready. So he says, cool. So, so we're setting the thing up. They've, they've went and taken her out of prison. They've processed her through migration, which is immigration. And they're, when she's sitting on the plane, she'll call you. So like three hours went by and I'm sitting there and they we're playing cards. I'm playing cards with the guards. And so... He comes back in and he's got a cell phone in his hand, one of them little bitty throwaway cell phones, you know, like the $20 throwaway cell phones. He's like, here. So I'm like, baby, is here? And she's like, yes, they've been so nice to me. They've stamped my passport. I'm here on the plane with the, with like the Panamanian version of the U.S. Marshal, like the Panamanian version of Marshals. I'm on the plane and like all the people on the plane are pissed off, she said, because they're waiting. <laughs> well, they're waiting on her. They, they won't let the plane go. I mean, it's like a regular 747, you know, like a big airplane or whatever. So I'm like, cool. So she hangs up the phone. I'm like, listen. And she said they stamped her passport. All her paperwork's done. She's not handcuffed. She's sitting there on the thing. Fine. Everything's cool. So I told Calderon, I said, okay, listen, go into the corner, into the bedroom, the master bedroom of my house. He said, I knew it was in the house. I'm like, just go into there. And there's count three tiles back from the wall and two, two tiles back from the other wall in the east corner. Take a hammer and bust it. Below it, there's a safe. The combination to the safe is da, 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 da. This is the combination to the safe. Open it inside the safe. There's the money. He's like, write all that down. So I wrote it all down. So he goes, I'll be back in a minute. So he goes back and he comes back in about 20 minutes. He's like, thank you very much. We got the money. Your wife is on her way to Atlanta. And we're, and my family was there waiting to pick her up from the airport. So they sent me back to La Jolla. So I go, I get back to La Jolla like two hours later from the district attorney's office. I get back. And I come into my cell and I picked up my Blackberry because I had bought a Blackberry and there's like 700 missed calls on it from my wife. 
I'm like, what the fuck? So I call her back, and then she's like, you motherfucker, you didn't give him the money. You didn't give him the money. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I gave him the fucking money. And they're like, as soon as you hung up the phone, they, the, the, the Panamanian police came onto the plane, put her in handcuffs, and took her back to prison. They fucking robbed me of $196,000 in cash and put my wife back in prison, where she still is to this day. Bill's now former wife would receive a 26-year sentence for what authorities say was her part in his criminal activities. After that happened, I, I was, you know, I lost. That was all my money, man. I lost all my money and, I, and, and the girl stayed in prison. I was just trying to get out of prison because I was responsible for her being in prison. She didn't do anything. She didn't deserve to be in prison. She didn't help me. She didn't do shit. She didn't have any reason to be in prison other than the fact that she cooked my meals. That's it. That's the only reason she's in prison today, and it's still, it's a horrible, horrible travesty. Anyway, it makes me sad to even talk to you about it. I feel sad just telling you the story. Anyway, so during that time period, one day, I became paranoid, like, like so paranoid that, like, I didn't want to leave the cell, and I knew something was wrong. I knew I wasn't thinking right. I, I was enough in my own mind not to believe the paranoia that I was feeling. I knew it wasn't right, but it was incapacitating. Uh, anybody that's had anxiety like that knows what I'm talking about. But for me, I think it was post-traumatic stress, I do. And so I came, finally Leo, after like two days of not coming out of the cell and like not eating, not doing Leo comes and is like, come out here. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, come outside. So I come out of the cell and sit in, a, sit in like one of the plastic chairs that we had out there. He's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. Something terrible is wrong with me. And so he said to me something that really helped me. He said, you know, how much you drink in the street? I'm like, at least, at least a liter of, of vodka every day. And you smoked. I'm like, yeah, like a freight train. And he says, and you, and you used to being free. I'm like, yeah. It's like, well, here you're in prison. You ain't got no, you ain't got no booze. You've been, this happened to me like at week number four or five. It was like right after the thing with my, with the district attorney. I, another thing about this story, <laughs> so you know, I ain't changing the names. Let everybody know who these corrupt cocksuckers are. I ain't changing the names. I ain't pulling no punches. I ain't, I'm telling you how it is. If I change anybody's name, it's because I love them. You know, but I ain't going to change anybody's name that fucked me. Let, them, let the whole world know who they were. So Leo said, you know, and you just got fucked over by a caller on the, the district attorney. You're just going through some post-traumatic stress. Just relax and ride it out. And I did. And a couple of days later, it was okay. But the word, his words, speaking to me, is like, you don't get to booze it no more. You ain't smoking cigarettes. You're, like, your body, chemically, your body isn't doing very well. You know, like, your, you know, your brain is probably not making dopamine. And he, like, he knew about this. Like, if you just hang out a couple of days, it went away. And it went away, and I never came back. I've never had it ever again. I've been through traumatic things and never had it happen before. But I guess all that trauma heaped up one on top of another and people say well how can you're asking us to have sympathy for you i ain't asking you to have sympathy for me i'm just telling you my fucking life i'm just telling you about how it was so bill is still locked up in jail in panama before he would be sent off to another public prison and he says just before he left the new prison warden would make a decision that almost killed every prisoner in his unit we got a new warden while i was there his name was david franchi a haitian by birth Franchi was this guy who, like, wanted to, like, dominate us. 
you know, we were like that. We were that cell block that was like that called the shots for the prison, you know. But he wanted to dominate us, so so he started being difficult. So what he did actually was start using the supermax cell block, which is what we were in the supermax cell block. The security is like a joke. We ran the show with guns and stuff on the inside. He started putting people who really were crazy and paranoid and fucked up inside our cell block. So then it rose to about 30 people and began, and, and then he put gang members on the inside who were at odds. He put some Kalor Kalor guys and some Baghdad guys in there and they hate each other. And so one, some of these guys brought in assault rifles and the other guys brought in grenades. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, we are in a sealed unit. It is a small, tiny space that is sealed. If somebody throws a fucking grenade in here, everybody's head is going to explode. The fire and, and the shrapnel isn't what's going to kill us. It's the concussion. The concussion of the explosion will kill all of us. I tried to explain that to them, and they're like, we're going to kill our enemies. I'm like, if you fucking throw a grenade, you're going to kill all of us. Yeah, but, but we got to kill them. I'm like, yeah, but if you throw a fucking grenade, you too, you're also going to die. Yeah, but we got to kill them. And I'm like, i got to get the fuck out of here. So when they gave me the opportunity to go to a prison, which is in, in this place called David, they moved my case to there because that's where the case was. That's where the, actually the murders were committed. They moved my case there. And actually the murders were committed in Boca del Toro, but Boca del Toro was such a small province of Panama that they didn't have a district attorney's office. Their district attorney's stuff for the for like homicides and stuff were dealt with by this this the neighboring province of Chiriqui in a town called David. So they sent me to David. And I was like, and when they sent me there, I was like happy to get out of there. And I asked, and poor Leo was stuck there. With, but I asked while I was there to stay in David. Before heading to the David public prison, Bill says two things happened to him that were the catalysts for his change of attitude. My mother came to visit me, and this is significant because I hadn't seen my mother in like six years. I hadn't spoken to her, and she came to visit me there and brought me a Bible. I was like very ashamed to see my mother because, you know, like my family is a very affluent family. My grandfather on my father's side was the mayor of our little town. My mother's father was the supervisor of an enormous manufacturing facility his whole life. And so, or his, his working life, worked for the same company his whole life, you know. Both of the men I'm speaking about are still alive, by the way. One is 90 and the other one is 95 years old. So, I mean, my families are very, very affluent families. I didn't have any reason uh, or excuse to step into the life of crime. I was like a real selfish asshole, got put in prison, like the most selfish, thought only about myself and only about my own well-being. Getting put in prison made me begin thinking about the well-being of at least my wife at the time. I never really considered her well-being before, but now I felt responsible. I, I, mean, I don't feel I was responsible for what happened to her, and so I began to try to take care of her. And that was the first thing that happened to me. And then second, my mother came to see me while I was in La Joyita, and she brought me a Bible and told me to read it. And I, we cried. I cried and cried and cried. It was um, incredible that a woman who I completely ignored and abandoned 
could still love me after all the terrible things that I did. And and, and I, I even I expressed that sentiment to her, and she told me it was because of her relationship with Jesus that she could forgive, she told me. And I didn't think anything about it at the time, other than the fact that she's a saint. I thought she was a saint, and that I couldn't believe and so she left. And, and to this day, that's been 13 years ago, I haven't seen her again. I speak to her every single day, every single day, but I haven't, I haven't got to see her again. So that was the first experience. And the second experience was there's this guy from Haiti, Padre Roberto Bouchel. He was an Anglican priest. He began to visit me. I called him Father Bob. Here comes Father Bob. He always came in his priest uniform, you know. And, but he sang songs that, that we sang when I was growing up. I grew up in a very staunch Baptist family. Very, we were, every time the church doors were open, we were there. And so he sang songs to me and with me, some even of things I knew, songs in English that I knew from when I was a kid. Every time Bob would come, I would be in a bad mood, but when he left, I was in a good mood, you know? And he was the only person that came to visit me. And he didn't come to visit me as a visitor. He was the he was the prison's chaplain, one of the prison's chaplains, and so he would like you know he was a government employee, and he would come to visit me when nobody else would because everybody else was afraid of me. And I remember Bob singing and like like things clicking in my mind, like man, I've really fucked up my life and I've been a selfish asshole my whole life, and you know, and this is the result of that. The result of that is this is you know I'm no victim of anything. I'm the, I'm the villain. Holy shit! How did that happen? And so. I began to read that Bible and and began to pray and I don't I won't say that I converted to Christianity in that day because I certainly didn't and it wasn't one day it was a long period of time I don't know where Father Bob is I don't know Padre Roberto Bouchiel wherever you are thank you brother for taking an interest in me so so we get to David and and I remember Ismael Flores a tall light-skinned Ladino, which means like a Spanish man, Span like with Spanish heritage, a man with Spanish heritage, he's light-skinned, comes out of the office and receives me as warden. And I said to him, I said, look, I'm not gonna be a problem for you, man, don't worry. So they take me to a cell and I began my time <laughs> in the David public prison. Ismael Flores was a tall man who before <laughs> His only qualification to be warden of the prison was the, that he was the in the correct polit political party. He was in Ricardo Martinelli's political party back in those days. And on the outside, he was a cigarette distributor, and like he had his own business. And Flores was about as corrupt as a human being can be. <laughs> he was a great big guy, tall, goofy looking kind of. Always wore a suit that didn't quite fit him. Thin. He was like one of those guys that was tall and thin but had a belly, you know what I mean? I've been in the prison maybe three months, and he called me to his office and said that they wanted to have a sports league. They wanted to do soccer teams. They wanted to have a football league. Would I put up a little money? And I said, yeah, how much? He said, 200 bucks. I said, that's fine, but I want to be able to go. And he's like, yeah, of course. So I became friends with him at that moment. And he asked me one time, he said, Mr. Halbert, are you a businessman? And I said, I am a businessman. And he said, well, casually, I'm a businessman, too. We're going to be good friends. And we were. Uh... I, in that prison, I, I got away with just about anything. Uh, literally, I used to bring girls in for the night. 100 bucks to the warden, 100 bucks to the cops. From my time speaking with men and women incarcerated in the United States, they all talk about contraband being throughout the prisons, including drugs. But in these prisons, drugs come at a high cost. However, in a Panamanian prison, drugs are extremely cheap. And drugs aren't the most dangerous thing that you can get your hands on 
in a Panamanian prison. A Panamanian prison isn't like a prison. On the inside, there are firearms and all kind of drugs. I just asked a guy, this is 2023, in September 2023, and I asked a guy here the other day, just out of curiosity, what does a gram of cocaine go for now, here inside prison? And he told me $16. Think about that. And I mean, we're talking about cocaine that's pure, never been stepped on, off of a brick, off of a kilogram block. So drugs here, drugs, guns, firearms on the inside, 800 bucks you buy, your, you can buy a, a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver on the inside here. Everybody's armed. I'm not. I don't have a gun. Uh, everybody's armed. Cell phones, obviously, are normal. I'm talking on one right now, recording this, so everything is... is uh, it's different in a Panamanian prison. And you say, well, why don't they escape? They don't want to escape. Where are they going to go? This is their life. Panamanian prisoners, gangsters, this is their life. They know from the time they're born, they're going to prison. They go to prison the first time when they're 11 years old. Juvenile hall here isn't like juvenile hall in the United States or like, or like underage prison somewhere else. It's an actual prison. It's just a prison. It's just where they put kids. They put kids in the prison, and then when they turn 18, they bring them to the regular prison. It's just a fucking prison. You know, so these guys have been in prison their whole lives. That's the only thing that they know. You have one minute remaining. And that's all we've got time for. But coming up in our next episode, Bill tells us just how these guns get into the prisons. Cops try to say that it's the family members in the visit that are smuggling that shit in. But I ask you, listeners, have you ever seen a woman that can fit an AK-47 in her And then after agreeing to do a Daily Mirror interview in the UK... Life for Wild Bill would get very, very uncomfortable. Holy shit in a handbag. The Panamanian authorities came down on me like a ton of bricks. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mashed Pumpkin production created, hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of ESA. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 